0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: Don't lord over those entrusted to you. What an awful thing for a pastor to do. But be examples to the flock. We're told to live by examples. Live the principles that you are teaching. Let them see what happens in your life and how God blesses you as you live those principles. And they'll want to live those principles as
0: well. Today on Practical Christian Living, we continue our teaching on leadership, and while we are all called to be leaders within the areas where we minister, work, and serve, Jesus has specific words and responsibilities for pastors. With more on what it means to be a shepherd, as Jesus was a shepherd, and lead by living out His godly principles, here's Robert Furrow with more from Matthew 20, 20 20-28.
1: In their culture, there was a good seat and there was a bad seat. There was a the least seat and the best seat. Kind of like we have the heads of the table at our homes, right? We've got a dinner table. It's pretty long. and We've got two heads of the table. Because of that, because of Luke 14, I almost never sat down at the head of the table. I always put my stuff on the side because Jesus said, don't take the best place of the house. I don't want to take the best place. I don't know what's going to happen if I do. So our grandchildren sat there. Our kids sat there. We we take the place on the side and this is the reason that I do it. But there's a principle here that goes far beyond whether or not I'm sitting at the head of the table on Thanksgiving, right? The principle is, Jesus said, don't, when you're invited over to someone's house, don't scramble for the best seat. Let someone say to you, that's not for you. And you are humbled in front of everybody. But instead take the least seat so that when they say, hey, this one's, that's not your seat, this one's for you, and they give you a place of honor, you are exalted in front of everyone. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, humble yourself and you will be exalted. Exalt yourself and you will be humbled. It's a good principle. These guys were leaders. You want a position of leadership? Then don't strive for it. Make yourself available to God. Ask to be used by God. If God is stirring you up to be used by him, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But you don't want to promote yourself. Number two, do not lord over people. That's what we find here in our text. That's what Jesus said to them. In Luke twenty-two twenty-five, 25, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And these who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, not so among you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, there's a passage on pastoral conduct. It's the first five verses that are there. And I'm so glad that they're there because they tell us pastors how we are supposed to act. When you get to verse 2, it says this, shepherd the flock of God. It's not your own flock. It's the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, It's important to oversee, not by compulsion, but willingly, not because you have to, but because you want to. I always say to a pastor who says, I'm just so tired of it, I'm so sick of it, I don't want to pastor anymore, I say, quit, go sell cars, go do something else, do anything, do it because you want to do it, not because you're forced to do it, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. That tells us that the pastorate has an opportunity for dishonest gain. It can happen in a lot of ways. It can happen when a pastor says to you, boy, you you say to them, how are you doing? And they say, well, you know, we're really, really tough right now, having a hard time paying our electric bill. And what they're asking for is help, right? You can do it by by being dishonest. This is not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. I want to I want to be used by God. I want to shepherd the flock of God. And here's the verse. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. Our our job as pastors is not to tell you what to do. I've gone to churches that do that. Some of you guys have as well. They'll tell you what you can do and can't do. They'll tell you what job you can keep and not keep. They'll tell you whether you can quit your job and move to another town. You guys run into any of this? And if you tell them that you're going to leave their church, you know, Katie, bar the door. You're now going and looking for dessert. You're tired of the meat of the word. And you're now looking for dessert. And they'll tell you where you have to stay. God told me they'll say you're supposed to stay here. And I'll give you a bit of advice. If ever you find a church where the pastor says that to you, it's time to go somewhere else. I've been at churches where they tell people who to marry. You cannot marry that person. You can marry that person. I'm not talking about biblical principles of whether or not you can remarry. I'm talking about telling people who they marry. You guys have been in some churches like that as well. Listen, it's hard enough for us to choose the people we want to marry, much less making decisions for other people. Could you imagine? I'm going to tell you who you have to marry and you have to live with them, right? You got to live with them the rest of your life. I'm going to make that decision. What a horrible thing. Churches do that. And if you are attending a church that they are lording over you, they're telling you that you have to stay, you can't go somewhere else, they're, they're massively involved in your life, even telling you, what you can, how much you should give. A pastor's job is to take... Jesus is the one who tells us what to do and not to do, right? He is our Lord. And so it's okay for him to lord over us. He tells us what to do. So the pastor's job is to take the words of our Lord and to make sure that they are clearly understood so you guys who are big boys and big girls don't need me to make decisions for you. You take the information and you're mature enough to be able to handle that information and to decide what your conduct will be from that. That's what we're supposed to do. Not as lords over those entrusted to you. Notice the term entrusted. The Bible says in Hebrews that pastors will have to give an account to those that have been put into their spiritual care. That should be a frightening verse to every pastor. This one should scare them. Don't lord over those entrusted to you. What an awful thing for a pastor to do. But be examples to the flock. We're told to live by examples. Live the principles that you are teaching. Let them see what happens in your life and how God blesses you as you live those principles and they'll want to live those principles as well. And then it says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. So number two was don't lord over people. When you get into a position of leadership, whether it's a home fellowship, whether it's over a men's group or a women's group or a a pastoral group, be sure that you don't lord over them. Number three, it was another one Jesus brought up, and that was to be servants. He said, you want to be great, you got to be a servant because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom. And so we want to make sure that we are servants. In the most practical ways is helpful. Picking up after people. Picking up after yourself, not expecting someone else to pick up after you. You know, when you're having some kind of an appreciation dinner or you're having some kind of fellowship time, it's as simple as getting up and beginning to serve the people that are there. When, we first, when I first began pastoring, I was called together with all of the Calvary chapels that were in Arizona. At the time, this is 1985, maybe 86. At the time, there was maybe, I'm going to say, 25 Calvaries throughout the whole state. Today, there's a whole lot more than that. And um, Pastor Chuck came to Cottonwood to, for a conference that was there, and we all sat down and had a meal with him. Pastor Chuck Smith. It was so amazing for me to sit down with him. I'm 26 years old. I don't know what he was at the time, maybe 60, maybe what I am now. But I remember sitting down and talking with him and just being so excited. And there's a Bible college there. And the Bible college kids were serving the meal. Then all of a sudden, as the kids come out to clean up, Pastor Chuck jumps up and starts to clean up with them. Not one of us stayed seated. Everyone, it wasn't our idea. We were just going to let the kids come out. But it was a good lesson for us. All of us learn, we're not just to sit back and be served. Here we are, pastors of Calvary Chapel in Arizona. We're just going to sit and hang out with Chuck. Chuck's like, I'm cleaning up with the kids. You guys do whatever you want to do. What a thing to say to those kids as well, huh? That he would minister in such a way. Number four, the fourth principle, the third principle is become a servant. The fourth principle is you must humble yourself. Again, Jesus talked about that in the passage that we covered. But in Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus says in unleashing to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were supposed to be leaders. They were the example of bad leadership. And as he's unleashing to them in Matthew 23, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, He said, for you love to be called teacher and rabbi in the marketplace. You love the best seats in the synagogue and you love the best places. And then Jesus says to them, humble yourself and God will exalt you. And if you exalt yourself, then God will humble you. Again, what a good thing to learn. This is the word of God. This is not just a biblical principle and leadership. This is God telling you, that if you think more of yourself than you ought to, and the Bible says don't think more of yourself than you ought to, that if you think more of yourself than you ought to, if you exalt yourself, if you're trying to, to raise your position up, that God's going to humble you. And if you humble yourself, that God will exalt you. That's his word. That's a promise from his word. Proverbs 3, 34 says, God resists the proud. There's also a proverb that says, a psalm that says that God hates a haughty look. And of course, there's Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before a fall. Whenever you take a public fall, you got to ask yourself, huh, wonder if I was being prideful. We go back to the early days and we had the small chapel was there. It sat like 300 people. And on a Thursday night, we were, we were filling up on Thursday nights. Back then we had Thursday night services. We we're filling up on the Thursday night services. And my brother-in-law came to the church service. He, he eventually would be go, be, become high up in the Navy. And I really liked him, but he was just a little bit younger than me. And for him to, for him to show up at our service was just amazing to me. I said, Davis Mothin, for whatever reason. And all of a sudden I come out and he's there. And I was really happy that we were really full. And the worship team sang and everybody was really involved. It was just over the top. And I jumped up on the stage and went walking up, and I tripped over a cord and (laughs) fell on the ground. There was a gasp in the whole room. Everybody went (gasps) And I jumped up and looked back at the cord like, dumb cord, how dare you do that to me? And I gotta think, here I am all excited, look what God's doing, look what's happening here, the church is full, people are singing, this is great, I'm gonna give this great teaching, wham, down I go. And I think we probably all have stories along those lines, don't we? Pride comes before a fall. Number five, you must not promote yourself. Proverbs 27, 2 says, Do not let your lips praise you, and not your own mouth. An outsider, and not your own lips. Again, Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that they were promoting themselves. Don't promote yourself. I'll give you another scripture in closing that goes along those lines. Number six, put other people's interest above your own interest. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. That means we're to take the last place in the line. That when we put other people's interest, when we say to them, you go ahead, instead of always having to have that first place, instead of always having to have the very best thing. Years ago, I heard a message by Charles Swindoll. He talked about taking his son on a kayaking trip. it was a rafting trip instead of kayaking, but it was a rafting trip. And that he made sure when they got there that they got the best van to go in. And then he kind of like checked out the guides and he made sure that he got with the best guide that he thought. And he looked at the rafts and he made sure that that guide had a a good raft. Then he went through the whole thing with his son and, and when he got home, he found that his passage was Philippians. Don't only look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. And I love Charles Swindoll's humility. He said, never have I been more ashamed than I was before my son that I had to teach that passage after the way that I acted. And I thought, Lord, help us to not just have to have the best for us because we're so much like that, aren't we? I mean, think about it. If you're somewhere and you've got to pick something out, you pick out the very best that there is, right? Instead of looking out for other people's interests. So Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. I'm going to take it there is a godly ambition, that God stirs you up, that God wants to use you and empower you and fill you with the Spirit and have you used for the kingdom of God. But don't let anything be done through selfish ambition, which would be things done for Robert Furrow or whatever your name is. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Think of other people as being better than you. Let each of you not only look out for his own interests, we've got to look out for our own interests, But look out for the interests of others. And finally, the seventh, you must become like a child. And I love this one. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, the disciples just, in reckless abandon, go and ask Jesus how to be great in the kingdom of God. It says, at this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They've been arguing about it. Now they want to know. What do they want Jesus to do? Well, you, Judas, you're the greatest. Well, you, Peter, for sure. I mean, you walked on water with me. Then Jesus called a little child to him and set the child in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, that means they had to change. Unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's how we become great. Again, I'll remind you that this is God's word. This is something we can act on, that we can take these principles and see God do great things in our lives as we do. Then he he adds, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus talks in other places, if we give a glass of water in his name, we will not lose our reward And that as we've done it to the least of these, we've done it unto him. In closing, I just want to say, Psalms 75, verses six and seven, it says, for exaltation, promotion, other versions say, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south. To be promoted doesn't come from, just doesn't happen, doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. But God is the judge who puts down one and exalts another. Boy, that's a good thing for us to remember, isn't it? As we humble ourselves before Him, maybe we aren't being promoted because we aren't following these seven principles that are radically different. These are not principles you're going to learn in a leadership conference that you go to. But if we can apply them in our lives, then God is the one who promotes. And we might find our lives counting. When I examine myself trying to examine what's pure in my life and what's not pure in my life as far as ambition goes, what I think is pure is that I want my life to count. I don't want my life to be wasted. I don't want years to be wasted. I don't want days to be wasted. I want God to use my life with other people. And if we will do these things, then he will do it. Jesus had never rebuked his disciples, I would said in the beginning of the study, for wanting to be great. Isn't that interesting? I think we would, but Jesus didn't. Instead, he redirected them to what real greatness is. It's not bad to want to have your life count. It's not bad to want to be used by God in powerful ways. It's only bad when we have the wrong intentions and it's selfish ambition instead of what godly ambition would look like. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that we have all of these passages in the Bible that teach us about true ambition or teach us how to be used great in the kingdom of God. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us when we compare ourselves to ourselves. Forgive us when we consider how we can can be raised up above other people instead of humbling ourselves before you. We don't want you to resist us. We don't want you to be against us, but we want you on our side. And so, Lord, let these principles, let them marinate to our souls. Let them become a part of who we are. Let us find a way to live for others, even as you did, as you even died for others. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you're here today, And you have never received Jesus as your Savior maybe you were born in church maybe you grew up in church maybe you began to go to church now again but you don't become a Christian by osmosis you don't become a Christian just because you're born into the family someone said there's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God you have to be born again you have to be changed And so the Bible says John chapter 1 verse 12 as many as receive him He gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in His name. If you will believe in Him, if you'll receive Him, if you'll ask Him into your life. Revelation 3 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The Bible says no one comes to the Son unless the Father first draws him. That means if you're going to come to Christ tonight, it's because God's drawing you. Salvation isn't your idea, it's God's idea. And I love that because sometimes we could think, boy, I'm crashing the party. God didn't really want me. I just asked him to save me and he did. Nope, God's called you. He's drawing you. He's working in your life today. Also, if you're here today and you've asked him years ago or months ago to come into your life and then you never followed through with it for whatever reason, you obviously have to follow through. There's gotta be fruit of the commitment that you make. If it's a genuine right commitment, then you will follow through with it. And if you didn't, perhaps there were other things. Maybe it was harder than you thought. Maybe the cares and the worries of this world choked out that faith or choked out the word of God. And you want to come back now. Don't think that God won't receive you. He said he'd leave the 99 and go after the one. I I love that because Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, but he's the only one who could leave the 99 and they'd still be okay and go after the one. I don't know that a good shepherd would do that. An actual shepherd. But Jesus cares about you so much, he'll leave the 99 and go after you. You are like a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter who would come back to him. I uh, grew up in a church where we were taught that if we believed God existed, that we were going to heaven. I was challenged that as a young teenager and I invited Christ into my life and I was born again. I walked away at 18 And God called me back at 19. And when I was saved and when I came back to him, they were both very powerful moments in my life as God began to work in them. And I believe that God will do that with you today. I'm going to ask you in a moment, if you're here, to raise your hand, if you would like to give your life to Christ or to return your life to Christ. If you're watching online, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, you want to give your life to Christ, then just respond to him now and pray this prayer with me. A little bit later on, you can send an email to saved at calvarytucson.com. We'd love to contact you. We'd love to to follow through as you make this commitment. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ or you would like to return to Him, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Just right where you are, raise your hand. I want to acknowledge your hand and then I want to pray for you as you make this commitment for Him now. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. That's great. God bless you. They're up in the balcony. That's awesome. Hi, God bless you. And God bless you. That's great. All right. And if you're online now, then you can respond too. Or if you're listening to this on Reach Radio, then you can respond too. If you're driving your car, keep your eyes open. But pray this prayer as well. I'd like everyone, including those, you can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned and I know my sin separates me from You. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite You into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for You in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.
0: We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.